Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Take that action. Take that little step that's extremely hard, but you don't want it to do because it can often be those little things that can have a huge impact. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. It gives me my absolute pleasure to welcome our next guest onto the show today. His name is Greg DeCherry. Now, I refer to him as Greggy D simply because he's a legend. He's a top guy doing great things for people here in the States, especially for youth when it comes to suicide prevention. Uh, I was very lucky to have met Greg a few years ago when we were working alongside each other on a documentary film called Suicide, The Ripple Effect. Uh, where we got to know each other. And one thing that really stood out to me when, when we met was Greg's work ethic, his passion, and how he was so driven with his purpose. And I, I wanted to find out where that came from. And so this show is dedicated to that, to unlocking your true purpose and potential through life's adversities and struggles. A very long story short, because I don't want to spoil the show and I want Greg to explain this to you, but Greg was introduced to the world of mental health when he was living out here in Hollywood, actually pursuing his dream of working in the entertainment industry. And it was here where he experienced one of his very first manic episodes when he was filming and directing a music video. Uh, He was later hospitalized and diagnosed with bipolar and substance use disorder. He spent the next 10 years in and out of uh, denial about his diagnosis, which resulted in over 10 forced hospitalizations over one month staying on Orleans Parish Prison Psychiatric Unit and he's two days in a drug rehab and many hopeless depressive states. But it's his story of passion and purpose, which is game-changing. He's got a wealth of experience and knowledge. In fact, he was awarded America's Top Honor in Mental Health, which is called the Clifford Beers Award. He delivers programs across the states to young people. But where his big passion and purpose lies is in the film and TV space. He's using the power of storytelling to be able to save lives and spread a message of hope because it ain't weak to speak. But without further ado, I want to welcome Greggy D. Welcome, Mr. Greg DeCherry. Some people like to call him Greggy D like I do. Welcome, Greggy D. What's happening, my man? Hey, thanks, Brother Living. Very uh, honored to be on uh, the uh show here with you man this is uh, good stuff and even more honored to have you living in the usa <laughs> mate it's, a, it's awesome being here i think what the last time i saw you were roaming a, a multi-million dollar mansion up at uh, the pacific palisades checking out a um a sober retreat yeah yeah that's pretty awesome pretty awesome just visiting but it's nice to be able to visit some uh fancy places every now and then like that just for those of you who don't know i've obviously made the move to to California to the USA and I was just telling Greggy D how hard it is over here for some things I just spent all morning at the DMV which is uh like the motor vehicle registration body here in the states and four hours back and forth had to go back to a courthouse to get papers signed off back to the DMV they told me I have to wait two days to get my tickets paid off and then I've got to go back Greggy mate why is it so hard over here some things (laughs) <laughs> that's a good question man i don't know it's just uh you know particularly dmv you you, you went after a, a tough one there obviously thanks so much mate for jumping on the show with me today i appreciate it greg let's dive straight into it mate obviously you and i connected some years ago um when you were out in australia filming the documentary suicide the ripple effect obviously you and i hit it off pretty quickly with that and you know got straight into it and and whatnot but for those of people that don't know let's rewind before i guess the involvement with the the ripple effect film where did all that for you come about like why were you in that situation what 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 inspired you you know to put your energy your efforts your passions into 
I guess, suicide prevention, especially in film and TV? So I'll, I guess I'll rewind, you know, before that. So uh, when I graduated college, I moved out to L.A. with the hopes and dreams of working in the film and entertainment, you know, industry. I was 22 at the time. And when I got out there, it was weird, very weird because I all of a sudden started experiencing what I know now is depression. But at the time, I didn't know what it was. It just I felt all of a sudden a lot of this anxiety and insecurity coming on. It was really difficult for me to talk to people. Uh, you know, I was using a lot of drugs from high school, you know, kind of on there, which I think contributed to some of the, you know, some of this, but it was, it was really just a night and day sort of thing. Cause I went from being very comfortable, easygoing, could talk to anybody, you know, any walk of life to all of a sudden I was just, just kind of paralyzed in my own skin. And I would see these commercials on TV for like talking about depression. And I would say, let's, could that be what it is? I honestly didn't know, or didn't really know what it was was working on a variety of different film projects, having some, you know, pretty good success. It started working on one of my own projects, kind of like guerrilla, low budget stuff, and was doing a music video for this Christian hip hop group and basically started to, to kind of trip out. Like uh, I started hearing kind of messages and, uh, you know, in music. I was sleeping less and less with doing this video because I was doing everything myself and it was real professional level video, but doing it on the cheap and didn't sleep a couple nights. And then worked this MTV gig and some stuff went down with that and then didn't sleep another night. And then basically I came home from what's called telecining in the process where back in the day, if you shot on film, you shot on film and then you had to go to a place where they transferred the film to video. So in order to get it done cheap, I did it overnight, but was then it was another night of not sleeping, but I watched all the footage and it was amazing. And I came home and me and my girlfriend were kind of arguing or whatnot at the, at the time. And we had a little apartment in Hollywood and I went and I, you know, got high when I got home, went out on the balcony. We had like two balconies that were close to adjoining, but there was probably about four feet apart and you could climb across. But, uh, but anyway, I went out there, smoked a cigarette. And then I, I went to go back in and the door was locked. And so I, it's like shit. And I'm like, go to think about climbing over, but like, no, nah, I'm too high. That's like sketch. This is pretty high. <laughs> I would fall. So I laid down on my, uh, cause I didn't want to deal and wake up my girlfriend. And, and I laid down on the little patio on my sweater. And then like, at some point, I don't know, a number of hours later, but it was like this difficult to explain this like voice or, and sort of thing of this powerful thing that kind of jolted me awake. It was like, if you give it all away, it'll come back to you a million fold. The door then is open, you know, this is, it's like start light out and um, a girlfriend left. Anyway, I go on this like mission, sort of giving away everything I had in my backpack full of stuff and kind of like prized possessions and a bike and was giving away everything, gave these kids my wallet and my keys and telling them that, you know, basically thinking like the end of the world's coming. And long story short, I continue to give away everything, eventually kind of hearing these voices or whatever the like, hey, you know, the more you give me, the more you'll know. It was just this whole freaking trip, you know what I mean? I wasn't on anything, but it was like some, like I was, you know? So it's sort of like, a, what, hallucinations? I mean, I guess so to some degree, you know, delusions, whatever, you know, it's hard to really qualify or fully, you know, explain, but yeah. And so anyway, so then it was like, oh, you're giving me everything now, you know, basically give me your clothes. And so like, I, you know, was very modest and still am, still am, but like, <laughs> I, I so that freaking took off my all my clothes and was walking on the sidewalk for a minute. Then I like got in the street and like, because I was kind of tripping, like, you know, it's five o'clock rush hour traffic and people were like honking. And to me, it sounded like music, you know? So I was like dancing and like, you know, it's real long hair, sort of hippie-ish kid, you know, dancing down the yeah. middle of the street. That would have been a sight. <laughs> yeah. So then I come around the corner and there's this whole big group of cops, uh, LAPD, you know, standing there and they're all like looking at me, like smiling, kind of like laughing. They're like, yo, where are you going, man? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to see the Lord. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, uh, you know, well, where's the Lord? And I'm like, well, Long Beach. Cause that's where I had worked the previous day with the MTV thing. And there's, but more of that story too. But, uh, but at any rate, they like, well, come on, we'll take you. And so they didn't take me to Long Beach. They took me to jail and, uh, got released like a day and a half later and ended up at the hospital. And, you know, that's where they diagnosed me eventually with being bipolar and having substance use issues. And so that basically started a journey of about 10 years of in and out of, you know, mental hospitals and drug rehabs and, uh, you know, halfway houses and all that kind of uh, stuff. So, I had moved back to Arizona where I went to college and 
got into a halfway house, like sober living type of house and floundered around for a little bit and then ended up kind of having another spiritual experience, shall we say. I mean, I had numerous others in between all this, but in the place where I'd kind of get it together, I'd have these, well, I'd have these manic episodes that are real freaking crazy. You're like king of the world. Everything's fucking fabulous. Then I'd get thrown in the hospital. You know, they give you heavy doses of antipsychotics and then I'm like down, you know? So then it's on the depressive side of things where you're just fucking, you know, miserable and want to die. And then that was basically the, the pattern. And so, but this one time I had, uh, I had kind of had it together for a while. So I had an apartment, I had a job, uh, I had been on disability for mental health, you know, issues, but, uh, but then I got a bottle of rum. I had started going manic again, smoked some weed. I decided to paint my apartment, but like all kind of freaking like finger paint my apartment. So like kind of a room like this, but like all this crazy psychotic stuff all over the walls, all over the front door. Then a couple days later, got thrown in the hospital came down a couple of weeks and I'm back in this apartment and it's freaking painted all psychotically. And, you know, I'm about to already lost a job. I'm about to be uh, evicted from the apartment. And I'm just like, fuck, how did I, you know, how did I do it again? You know what I mean? I did it again. I just like hit my knees and not like religious or anything, but like hit my knees and was like, God, please help me. God, please help me. And what came crystal clear again was that it was like, help yourself. And, uh, I just had to like chuckle in that in that moment, you know what I mean? Because one, it told me something was was there, but but two, it was like that realization, you know, God and, and via people in my life had been trying to help me for years and years, and I had opportunities to go to great programs and had lots of people, you know, trying to help me, but I was unwilling to help myself. So that kind of really launched me on this uh, journey of recovery, you know. Greggy, mate, thanks very much for sharing that with all of us and. I want to take you back, mate, and, and I'm going to ask you some serious questions just so that we can get some more insight and help help people who also might be listening in and who might have been struggling or who might struggle. The moment you were hospitalized and told that, I guess, diagnosed with, you said, bipolar disorder, what did that feel like to you when you were actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder? How did that make you feel, especially after all, the, all of the years of not really understanding how you felt and you know, seeing adverts on TV and commercials and questioning, you know, was that me and not really sure of, you know, what was happening in your life? Like, how did that feel for you, Greg? Well, I mean, there was, you know, a lot of just that denial of self-denial of, and, and one of not like, I mean, particularly in that moment when I was diagnosed, you know, I was still in the midst of this episode and what I had experienced was so real, you know what I mean? It was very, very vivid and, and real. So it was like, hard for me to just hear, oh, it's bipolar and it's not real. You're sort of crazy, so to speak. Uh, so it was like a basically a years long process of basically coming to grips with that and to the fact that, you know, as I still believe some of that stuff was real. There's some levels of, you know, realities to some of that, but there's also the reality that, you know, I have a mental health issue or the manifest in itself that needs for me personally needs medication, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, needs a variety of things that I need to do to take care of myself, including being sober and not using drugs and alcohol. And so, so it was just, you know, trial and error, you know what I mean? And so that was kind of like a lot of that trial and error was ending me up, you know, in hospitals strapped down to, you know, different things or in jail or, or whatnot. And then finally it's getting to that place of like, okay, well, if I keep doing this, I'm going to keep being locked up or losing my freedom or not being able to take care of myself, or hurting the people that I love and things like that. So I guess it was like kind of a longer process is the answer to your question. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and I guess being here today is, a, I guess you, you're lucky to be alive considering the, the situations that you found yourself in in the past, you know, many years ago. And obviously you've, you've worked towards things that you know, Greggy, that work well for you. I guess everyone's got their own management practices and self-care plans. And, and unfortunately, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And, and you identified within yourself that giving up alcohol and, and, and drugs and that sort of stuff was the path that you needed to take to get well. And that was the journey that you needed to take. I guess with bipolar and for those people that don't know too much about that, you mentioned earlier you had highly manic episodes where you thought you could take on the world and life was amazing. And then you had these depressive episodes where you really didn't want to live anymore. I guess looking back at that for you, Greg, what did you learn most from those situations? I mean, I guess 
the top thing was be, you know, that I've learned today is that we get better by helping other people get better, you know, and I think of getting to that place and recognition, which is something that comes from, you know, been involved with the 12 steps over the years and, uh, you know, which is really kind of the foundation of that. And it's kind of the foundation of what I take into my work with, you know, with youth around, around mental health, because it's a foreign concept, you know, to think you're sick and you're hurting or whatever, and that uh, you're going to get better by helping somebody else. And so, you know, I know that's kind of a, a broader stroke or broader piece of things, but on the recovery aspect or journey, and that's what I always, you know, encourage people to, you know, to do or to focus on. You've been helping people ever since I've met you and you've been involved in suicide prevention programs for teens and rolling programs out across the United States in particular. What have you, I guess, learned amongst, you know, teens? Like given that you were in your early 20s when, when you were going through your struggles, what have you found dealing with teens and the differences or maybe the similarities to what you're dealing with even today or what you dealt with in your 20s when you were back in L.A.? It's really devastating what young, you know, young people are, are facing, you know what I mean? And so we know the massive issue that's, that suicide is, you know, across the boards, but with young people particularly, but even outside of that, just the amount of young people that just feel absolutely hopeless, like they have no purpose and that they want to die. But just even the amount of young people that will never get close to suicide, but are just, you know, miserable and dealing with so much trauma and different, different sorts of, of things like that. So I think, um, it's finding that a little bit of that purpose. And again, that kind of can go back to the utilizing your pain or your experience to help other people in some way or some form or fashion that can look different for, for different people because a lot of this stuff you or we deal with, it'll eat us up and tear us apart and does for most people if we don't share it. Yeah, true, to, to a certain degree. And, and I want to challenge you on that. I think for a lot of people, we sit here and we say, especially I've done it before in the past too, is like, what's your purpose? It took me 25 years to find what I was deemed to do and my purpose in life and my passions. But that came after tragedy. And unfortunately, not everybody has the strength nor the foresight to see sometimes through struggles, you have to turn that into something positive in order to find your purpose. And not everyone is able to do that. So how do you find your purpose if you don't feel like you, you're not living for anything. It's something that I get asked all the time. You know, I'm lost or I'm doing something I don't really enjoy. I feel like I'm just going, you know, I'm rolling with the punches, so to speak. There's nothing that's really exciting. So how do you find your purpose? How would you encourage someone that's young to find their purpose? Because it could be, you could be trying to find your purpose your whole life. Yeah. And I think most people are, you know what I mean? But I think one, I guess, put it in a way that maybe we're not having to think of there just being the purpose that everyone is necessarily going to have. But like, basically, I think breaking it down and maybe simplifying it of just things that make you happy or bring you joy, you know what I mean? So if that's freaking writing or, you know, running or going to the library or gardening or things like that, that you can be of joy. But I think also I always, you know, encourage people Again, just bringing it back to the help, helping others or being of service, the more you can get out of yourself and help other people, you know, in some form or fashion, whether it's volunteering at a school or for a youth program or wherever, it can help you find, you know, help you find your purpose in that, you know, it can help you find joy in that. So I think that's a little bit of it, you know. That topic in particular, finding your purpose is so powerful and it's so common, it's so it's so strong. I think if there was a grand plan that people could implement every day, we'd live in a happier world. But unfortunately, there isn't. And something that I think I encourage people to do who feel lost is, you know, try something new. Step out of your comfort zone. Push yourself to, to limits and places that you've never really been before. And I think that allows you to try new things that you probably would never have tried before. And it allows you to see if you like it or not. And it's great. You know, do things that make you feel happy or do things that might serve others, which might serve yourself. And Greg, you're a perfect example. I mean, 22 years of age, you had this goal and this drive and this desire to, to work in the film and entertainment business or the show business, as everybody calls it out here in LA. And you're still doing it to this day. You're still chasing and, and pursuing your purpose and you're working towards that. But I guess with the chain of events that have happened in your life, now you're using your experiences and your passions to help people in the film and TV world, which I find absolutely inspirational. Yeah. And I it? look at you, Greggy, and I go, 
we should be doing something together because this is both of our passions. We're both in mental health. We've both had our, had our own mental health struggles and we both love film and TV. And you're, you're doing it, man. Like, that's how I met you. I met you filming Suicide, The Ripple Effect. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's going in between. It wasn't uh, really a, a path I chose, you know what I mean? It was a path I was, I was put on. So there were many years, basically that whole idea and, and goal of working in film was, was shattered, you know? So like every, particularly my first few episodes, you know, I'd go back to working on film and when I work on a film project and I'd get all excited and amped up and then I wouldn't sleep and then boom, you know, like, I mean, my... Second one, I was doing this thing on the uh, heroin prevention film with members of the Sublime, the uh, band on Bradley Knoll who lost his life and flipped out towards the end of that in the editing editing process. But And eventually I just had to give up the film career and I didn't think it was possible at all. You know what I mean? I was in a very hopeless state, often suicidal and, you know, on disability, you know, mental health disability, like I mentioned, and... Uh, and found out about peer support, you know, and went through this peer support training program just looking for like a part-time gig, you know, part-time job to supplement my disability. And then just kind of ended up running that peer training program a short time later and then got working in the mental health field. And I've been at the same, you know, same spot, I created a youth program for the company that I work for, which I've been doing for like 12 years now. It goes back to the, you know, what we were saying, because it's all around giving young people opportunities, you know, because like it's fine and dandy to say, like you were mentioning, kind of find your purpose or do what you do. But if there's no opportunities that can be a, a tool to helping young people do that, they're not going to freaking do that on there. You know what I mean? And, um, they'll, and, and they'll never know. Right. right. And so, so it's giving them the opportunity. So that is was exactly what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And so that the big part of that is, you know, bringing young people together who have experience with things like, you know, mental health or substance abuse and giving them opportunities to use their experiences to help other people or to help advocate for change and to help, you know, create awareness and things like that. And them being able to see that some of this crap they've been through can have a positive to it because they can use life for help others, but also, you know, they're making friends, they're connecting with one another. And that's one of the biggest things I see with so many of these kids around the country and the world is they're so isolated. You know what I mean? They don't have friends of to speak of a lot of them or, or positive friends. And, you know, it's hard to have any kind of self-worth if you're just isolated in the, in the loan all the time. And then you throw in the whole trauma factor, which is just mind blowing the amount of these kids that have been sexually abused, you know, I mean, mind blowing, like something else. It's the other kind of real silent thing that nobody really talks about. And on that note, and it's a really important one, you mentioned there some, you know, you feel alone, you feel isolated, helpless, hopeless, worthless, all these sort of things. I guess on the contrary, I feel you know, I've felt before where I've been surrounded by so many people, loved ones, family, a lot of support, but I've felt probably more alone. So have you been in a situation like that, Greg, in the past where you felt so alone that you you don't know what to do? And, and what did you do? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, lots of times like that, you know, because the the mania was... I felt good during that. You know what I mean? It scared the hell out of everybody else because they didn't know what was going going on and it was so worrisome. But then in the depressive side, not that anybody wanted me to feel depressed, but it was, I was safe. You know what I mean? It was a lot less scary for other people, but it was a lot more painful for, you know, for me. So, uh, so, you know, I mean, it was just, it was, it's just difficult to work your way out of it. You know, finally, I think kind of with a combination of, you know, medication, getting involved in the 12 steps and uh, exercise, slowly, you know, kind of pulled myself out of that piece. So. And, do you, and do you look back now, mate, and, and think, okay, those times when I was helpless, I was hopeless, I felt alone. And you look at where you are and where you've come from now and, you know, the beautiful, you know, family that you've got you know, your lifestyle that you live and the people that you're helping from all over America. Do you sit there and think, God, I'm happy to be alive. Like, I don't know how I was thinking like that before. Or now I know my management plan and how I get through that moving forward if it does happen again. Because I'm sure now or in the future, you get times, we all have challenges that come and go. But do you use them in the future? And have you used them since, you know, your major episodes in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I'm very blessed that I, you know, like you said, survive this stuff, but just have the life that I have today, you know, I mean, I still need to utilize tools. And again, 12 steps is a big piece for me because I, you know, over the last couple of years of the move, I had kind of drifted away. So it was kind of going less and less and I wasn't feeling like using, but I was pretty 
batshit crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of times and you know and like so when life takes off and work takes off so you get so busy and so not really focusing on that self-care which is so critical you know what i mean so uh and just being mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In the moment, you know what I mean? It's too, still, I, you know, have lots of issues, you know what I mean? Still, I'm not cured and a lot of things of uh, future tripping and not being in the moment and focusing too much on things and all you know balance is a huge one you know finding that 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 life balance but you know try to stay grounded with family and friends and and recovery and I think that's that's the biggest thing that I see a lot of people struggle with is is that thinking that they're kind of cured you know what I mean you said it you know a few times there I think and and what people must understand is self-care is number one care it's very important just because you might be out of your rut and you might have got out of the rabbit hole and you feel good right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be amazing all the time. And I think it's the same. I like to liken it to the way that you go to the gym. You don't give up going for a run or going to the gym, lifting weights, just because you, you feel a little bit stronger. You keep going because you want to keep that, you know, that form up or you want to keep that strength up. It's the same way I tell people with their mental health. Treat it the same way that you treat your physical health and put your self-care first before anything else. Because when you're a lot better for yourself, you're going to be a lot better for everybody else. Your work, your personal life, your family life, and everything else in between. And I, and I can't stress that enough. And, and you've said it a lot, Greggy, that you know, self-care continues to play a major part of, in your life. And you notice and you recognize when you know, you're too busy or you've been working too much and you've maybe been on the road and not seeing family as much, that these are you know, very important factors in your life that you know that you need to keep up with in order to stay mentally well. You know, I, I want to focus on this piece. You're wearing the shirt. For those people who aren't watching our YouTube channel, My Ascension, I know that you do a, a shitload of work with youth, mate, and I take my hat off to you and the commitment that you've, you've done to this space in particular, to suicide prevention. My Ascension is a project I believe that you've, you've been working on. I've, I've actually checked some of the work out that you've, you've been doing on that, mate. Epic work. I don't want to give, all, give it all away, so I'm going to let you share a little bit about it and the background. But I know that that's directly involved with youth suicide and you're trying to get that out amongst 
you know, the teens and, and schools around the country. Can you talk to us more about this project around My Ascension and the film project? Sure. Like, if it's cool, I want to just start, I'll read with a little thing. So New York Times uh, had an article today. It says, why are young Americans killing themselves? You know, very well, well done and a lot of information and facts. But the last line of it is every day, 16 young people die from suicide. What are we waiting for? And I did a little uh, comment, which I'll just, just brief, I'll read it to you. But like, so kind of leads into the film thing but so awesome this is my comment but awesome article one correction there are actually 18 young people dying in the united states every day by suicide according to the national institute of mental health in 2017 which is the most recent numbers 6769 young people under the age of 24 died by suicide that's 18.5 kids a day that's the equivalent of losing the entire student bodies of nine high schools every year In the last 20 years, there have been about 200 youth deaths related to school shootings. Tragic, of course, and deserving of attention, but I would love for someone to do an analysis of the amount of TV airtime and other press coverage focused on school shootings compared to coverage given to youth suicide. No doubt that the results would be extremely disturbing, particularly considering that in the same 20-year period, we lost approximately 130,000 young people in the U.S. to suicide, the silent epidemic. When you really like look at it at the freaking actual numbers, I mean, that's that's like mind blowing. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just crazy. The attention that goes to certain things, you know what I mean? And like, I mean, how much do you hear, you know, about school mass shootings and stuff like that, which are horrific. Don't get me don't get me wrong. It's something to be trying. But I think because it's it's more uh you know easily dramatized or whatever sensational it gets tons and tons and tons and tons of you know of coverage but like suicide is nothing it's like it's silence every once in a while i mean you know somebody will write an article or maybe a couple times a year there'll be a you know somebody on a tv show or if you know a big celebrity dies then we'll have a rash of you know a little burst but like nobody is talking about specifically in general but specifically with young people and there really needs to be like messaging and, and, and attention to it because, you know, people kind of tiptoe around it. And then you got, you know, like I looked was rec- just a few days ago was looking at like suicide prevention, youth suicide prevention videos or something I Googled. There's freaking next to nothing. You know what I mean? There's like some suicide, the ripple effect, you know, stuff grateful for. But there's really very, very little out there. And I think a large reason of that is people were so fearful even within the community to like put anything out or to do anything or you know or they're going to be hating essentially on anybody that puts anything out and I mean obviously there's lots of issues with that and there needs to be care and caution and whatnot but I mean we need to like get into some serious action around this basically. Yeah yeah, I I believe so too man I I feel like especially with the work that gets done back in Australia and now seeing you know the work that's getting done here in the states I feel like awareness is is amazing there's a lot of great organizations out there that are doing great great things when it comes to raising awareness for mental health and suicide prevention but we really do need to take action those numbers are mind-boggling 6700 people per year and and that's the ones that are accounted for yeah. you know which is it's this is yeah. scary it's obvious that something needs to be addressed i believe that it, it is a top priority um, from what i'm hearing in the trump administration but we need to start seeing this happen now. We need to start seeing actionable steps taken in order to address this concern, both on an international basis and a national basis. Greggy, you're already doing a lot of work in the space, especially with shining a light on suicide prevention and letting people know what, what this is about so that we can educate more people to be aware so that they can take the necessary steps to change. And that's what utilizing you know, the, the film idea around My Ascension and the suicide, the ripple effect was was aimed at. What's the main goal here with My Ascension? What's your main purpose and goal with it? What are we trying to achieve? I mean, basically to kind of create some awareness and, you know, be a piece of the puzzle and hopefully, you know, moving some stuff along, sparking some conversations, sparking some action, hopefully, you know, changing some lives, saving some lives, getting some people some hope. Yeah, so uh, My Ascension, I had connected with the, the main subject. Her name is Emma Benoit. 
um, in the lead up to the premiere of Suicide, the Ripple Effect here in Baton Rouge. And my sister had connected me with her and she uh, was 16 at the time, uh, cheerleader, uh, you know, lots of friends, uh, great family. And nobody had any idea she was struggling. And then one day she got her dad's nine millimeter out of the closet and, and shot herself. And as a result is uh, paralyzed. And so the story kind of follows her, her journey and, and her quest to walk again and, and get better, but also in kind of her change and, and her finding purpose, you know what I mean, with through this and using her experience to help others and also deals with some other families and friends and people she was connected with, young people who didn't make it. Um, and seeing their their families and their friends in the aftermath of that, and then also working to bring this program to uh, to Louisiana, which is called Hope Squad, which is a peer-to-peer school-based suicide prevention program that's based out of Utah. That's the first of its kind, isn't it, in the states? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a couple of others, maybe similar similar, but but it's one of the early ones, and I think you know, really great program and getting youth young people involved and you know with that it's basically like they train young people in suicide prevention and they're basically nominated by the peers in their schools and so they're designed to kind of be the eyes and ears as far as like if they see a kid struggling or even like eating alone or whatever they can reach out and they connect with the counselors and connect them with you know resources but what's been found is young people oftentimes may not go to an adult they might not go to a parent they might not even go to one of their good friends but if there's like a peer, you know, in school or somebody they can go to, they're much more uh, likely. So, you know, it's a great deal. And I think it's kind of multifaceted. Like you said, I mean, it's there's got to be no wrong door, and so to speak, and a lot of different uh, approaches, you know, and things that works. And so I think there's there's need for lots of different aspects from, you know, the government aspect to, to for, you know, there being funding and that sort of thing to, you know, to nonprofits and suicide prevention organizations that are more like formal organizations that are doing, you know, great work here in places in Australia. But then, but I think there's also, you know, that huge need of like what living, you know, living does. And that's why I've, you know, been so inspired about y'all, which I think is in Australia is pretty unique. I don't think we really have here, at least not to the level, but as, you know, of, of people, young people who are really, impacted by the issue who are passionate and are out there just on the grind doing great things, you know, and there's, you know, you and Maddie, Maddie Runnels and, you know, living and mindfulness and Higsey and them. I mean, Joe Williams, I mean, it's just, there's so there's like a good core of people. And I think if we can get more of that here in the U S and, and around that are just got grassroots components, cause that's really what's going to reach the young people. I mean, at the end of the day, I hope a lot of young people see the documentary and get, you know, moved or, change but reality is you know a lot of young people aren't going to sit down and watch you know a documentary or whatever a lot who aren't but so maybe you know and things like we're doing together things like this of doing different kind of content because i think that's what it's really gonna gonna take absolutely man and it it needs to be relatable and and has to resonate with young people also when you're dealing with the film and and, in the documentary and you know the lead up to the film and and all the work in between with the family and obviously the the girl involved and everybody else are you able to share some of the the feedback obviously she now becomes a a suicide survivor suicide attempt survivor and i'm sure she's shared very powerful messages on the film and without giving too much away what are some of the things that i guess she was saying in the lead up to taking her own life that she looks back at now and just thinks what was i actually doing what was i thinking yeah, I mean, I think she still is a lot of you people still kind of like struggles with that or over the, you know what I mean? I think she was dealing with some anxiety and depression that she hadn't talked about. So that was a big thing of just not sharing with anybody what was going on. You know, her her big thing was she didn't want people to think she was weak. So she thought she was a burden as well and didn't want people to think that she was perceived as weak. Yeah, she didn't like, she she relates a story that like when she was a kid, she was being picked on, you know, she was picked on a lot in school. She went to her parents like saying, oh, well, don't, you know, as most parents do, you know, oh, don't let it bother you. You know what I mean? Like, so she kind of internalized that as, okay, well, she's like, don't let them, you know, show them it bothers you. Don't show them that it's weak. So then she internalized that to like, oh, well, if I'm hurting, I'm not supposed to, I don't want anybody to share, see that I'm weak. Another thing that came up with also with the young woman in the film who died by suicide is the academic pressure, you know, kids like place a lot of uh, pressure 
on themselves. It's, you know, often just perpetuated by the society and schools and, and everything else who have good intentions, but then these kids internalize it. And so like, oh, if I make a B, I'm a bad, I'm a student, I'm going to be a failure. I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to drop out. You know, so there's like all those kind of things. And then, you know, there's definitely the the social media component of wanting to be perfect, you know, things like that. And and so living up to false expectations of what we see on social media. And then a lot she describes it as just like moment of crisis. You know what I mean? That it's like, it's just, it's, for her, it wasn't like a long time planned sort of thing. It was more of, it was just that boom, that moment of crisis. And then it's like, you know, same with like Kevin Hines talks about from the bridge, you know, as soon as she did it, it's like, oh hell, what did I do? I don't want to die. For anyone that's listening right now and people who do dial and listen into this or watch it on YouTube, how can we, and what can we say to them if they're struggling right now and suicide in their mind is a real option? What can we say to them right now, Greg, as a team that's going to help them live? Tell somebody, you know what I mean? Talk to somebody as big as biggest thing, you know what I mean? Lots of people struggle, you know? I mean, everybody struggles in some form or fashion, but a lot of the people that you might see that have all together are likely struggling uh, as well in some form or fashion or have. And they have had the courage or, you know, to reach out to somebody and, and ask for help or at least tell them what's going on, you know? I think that's key, but I also think everybody's got their own struggles, so we should never downplay our struggles and compare them to somebody else's struggles because they're all very relative. Your problem's your problem, my problem's my problem. I should never sit here and try and justify mine is any less or more important than yours. I shouldn't sit here and say, I'm not going to seek help because mine's only minor. I believe everyone's problems are justifiable and you need to own them uh, wholeheartedly. And I believe that you know there are a lot of people and everybody wants to help. But sometimes, especially with mental health challenges and mental illnesses and mental health problems, people don't see and they don't know the warning signs because they're uneducated. So that's why we encourage people to speak up and seek help because it might be in a couple of weeks from now, it might be in a month or or a year from now, like you and like I, we look back and we think, wow, I'm so lucky to be alive. You know, I'm so grateful to be able to do the work that I'm doing. That's sometimes all it takes. And I, and I do wholeheartedly believe, especially if you're struggling with, you know, with perceptions and, and what people are going to think about you, is reaching out and asking for help can often be the hardest part of the puzzle. It ain't weak to speak. And, and that's what this podcast is all about. We want to empower and encourage people from all walks of life to be able to speak up and to share their story because everyone has the power to save someone's life and their own life. And that's what this platform is all about. Yeah, and I think you brought up a great point. It's worth uh, hitting on again, but it's it's not matter. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like because a lot of times in my own life, you know, the way I was feeling inside, but I, then I would I would say, well, God, I'm depressed and things, and I have this. I have a place to live in. I have a family. And I have this. You know what I mean? And then it would just internalize it and make it worse, even worse. So it's not a matter of what the things look like on the outside or whatnot, you know, because you can have everything great on the outside but still be hurting on the inside. And don't try to, like you said, compare yourself to other people. Just speak of what's on your heart and what's on your, uh, you know, what's on your mind. It honestly could be the difference between saving your own life and, and, and losing a life. Like, that is how serious this is. And especially with young people, you mentioned, I've mentioned, it's the work that we do. As young people, you're more inclined to make impulsive split decisions that you, you would later regret. I've made a lot of decisions in my life, especially when I was young, that I would always regret the next day. And I'm lucky to live on to tell my stories. But for some people, they don't get a second chance. My Ascension's a great, a great platform to share somebody's story who got a chance at life again. And unfortunately for a lot of people, they don't get another, you know, another chance to live. So what can we take away from these experiences so that we can educate young people and we can educate the families and the parents of young people? I think together, and I'm sure you'd agree with me on this, Greg, it's a, it's a team effort. It's a collective approach. We all need help at some stage in our life. And you do need to reach out and ask for help. And I will mention as well, being on this topic, all the show notes, we're going to supply a lot of resources there. So if you are a family member or you're someone, somebody that might be struggling or you know someone that's struggling, I'll ensure that you know all of the appropriate safety guidelines and helplines and, and everything are available there so that you can... You can use them uh, and, and point people in the right direction because safety is always our first priority. So you think about those numbers, those 60, just in the U.S., 6,700 young people, 130 
thousand in the last 20 years just in the U.S. All those young people had parents, had friends or best friends or cousins and grandparents and teachers and coaches and just the massive amount of people that are infected and impacted. And I think one of the reasons I think that it doesn't get as much attention as it should is people, I think, consciously or subconsciously, they think, oh, well, they just wanted to die and they died. Yeah, it's sad. But when you think about all the other victims or unattended people impacted by that, yourself, for instance, you know what I mean? That really magnifies the massive issue. So, I mean, just that 130,000 young people, that's probably well over a million. I mean, they say there's research says 115 people are directly impacted. There's a funeral of a young person in the film. It's just massive. There's like 400 people that are massive, massive, massive. So if you really think about all the people who are impacted and lives are oftentimes wrecked for life, that's a part of the, the thing that really needs to be considered and recognizing that, you know, that there's a lot more victims, so to speak. And just all those numbers we talked about, there's one, just in the U.S., like 1.3 million attempts. Like those numbers are just people who died. And majority of those are probably young people. I don't know the numbers for the specific young people, but like, so there's hundreds of thousands of young people that attempt. Think of the families and in that, those young people that are, you know, wrecked through all of that. So it's, it's, it's massive. So, I mean, I think goal with the film, like I said, is, you know, hopefully to get it out there as much as, you know, as much as possible. Kevin and I, you know, had some great success with Suicide the Ripple Effect. So, you know, definitely would Love to have success on that, you know, realm as far as, you know, maybe getting into theater presentations and uh, community screenings and online platforms and things like that. But ultimately, you want to try to get it in as many schools as possible, you know, because I think that's, like I mentioned before, young people are much more likely to watch a documentary if they have to, <laughs> they're sitting in class. But but no, so doing a, doing like a cut down, like the film's about an hour and a half, but doing like maybe a cut down version that fits kind of neatly into a, a, a school session. And then maybe followed by a program or something that you could roll out. Yeah, totally. Definitely would love to, as we've kind of chatted about initially, you know, partnering some of that so they could show the film, could come in with some, you know, some programming, some motivational speakers and some, you know, curriculum and that sort of thing. So. That kind of stuff is in the works and it's, um, you know, we're just putting the final touches on it now, have a rough cut. We're doing some kind of informational segments, which are just finalizing. We're working on our trailer now, which should, should be done soon. So probably release the trailer here in the next few weeks by the end of the month. From what I've seen so far, Greg, it's a masterpiece. It's going to be uh, a very moving film, I must say. It's, a lot of people will be kind of sh- shocked in a way when they watch it, but I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to help save and... and prompt a lot of behavioral changes for a lot of people and, and get people more aware of, of what we're actually looking at right now. Because you and I are two people in a, in a pond of millions, you know, thousands, if not millions of people that are doing great work around the world for suicide prevention. But it's time to really make an impact via actionable, you know, subject matter and let's do it, you know. And I think you, you, your proofs in the pudding uh, with the work that you've done and the work that you continue to do. Greggy, I'm excited to be working with you, hopefully in the not so distant future, mate, with something in the the film and TV landscape where we can do something cool so that we can get, you know, and help more people. You know, the work that you've done to date and using your story as a platform to build your purpose so that you can save more people's lives is inspiring to say the least. And, you know, I'm glad I've, I met you and I'm glad we're mates. Thank you for welcoming me into the States um, with open arms. And I guess before we wrap up the show, I want to ask you, what's the best advice that you could give someone who is struggling with a mental health challenge? Help yourself. That was the kind of message I had as I shared earlier that take some action. You know, it can be difficult. You know, mental illness can be paralyzing, particularly getting in that depression stage, which I didn't, couldn't get out of bed. You know, like I'd watch TV for hours and hours because it was just the only thing that kind of shut my head down. And it's like, you know, people would tell me, go, you know, you should go to the gym, it'll help. And I thought it sounded good, but I could never get the motivation to do it. So, you know, it's just take that action, take that little step that's extremely hard, but you don't want it to do, because it can often be those little things that can have a huge impact on changing your, your life, you know. Amen. Amen to that. And I absolutely love that. And it's the baby steps that often add up to be great big steps, but they're all very relative 
and don't compare problems to problems because everyone's problems are relative and you got to respect that. But self-care remains number one care. And Greggy, where can everybody find you, mate? If people want to get in touch with you, they want to help you know, support the film, they might want to roll out the film at their schools. Where can people find you, Greggy? Our film website is myascension.us. And uh, my company, Smile Style Entertainment uh, website is smilestyleentertainment.com. Even those places they can uh, track me down and would love for you to like both of those uh, or either of those on the on the Facebook. We'll put them in the show notes also, guys, and you guys can head directly there with the links and help support Greggy on his mission. Thanks, man. And I, I just want to uh, say again, I'm, I'm normally in some form or fashion rocking uh, some type of living gear. So I definitely uh, <laughs> appreciate y'all for not just the gear, but uh, for all the work that you guys do. And that's what's so cool and so inspiring. And I see so much need for, you know, is is people to be out there working with young people and, and also that collaboration piece, you know, because this is such a huge issue. There's so much uh, need for work in this area. It's going to take a lot of collaboration for all of us to to come together and, uh, you know, and really rally and motivate the young people. Because I think ultimately to make any severe head, serious headway uh, with youth suicide, it's going to take youth getting involved and rising up. And so that's a piece of the film as well as giving young people the opportunity to to help their friends and help people, uh, you know, be here. And then we can live in a better place, less trauma, more happiness, more giving. Thanks again for all of your time today. I muchly appreciate it. Love, love having you on here. I love catching up and speaking with you as well. Take care, brother. Peace, man. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 